Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is God's word. You may be seated. Only two verses this morning. So this morning we are going to be finishing up our time spent in the Sermon on the Mount. It's bittersweet. And Char conveyed some of these, these thoughts and ideas last week because for him that was his last week in Sermon on the Mount. But it's, it's bittersweet because it's so, it's so great to actually get to the end of a series and be able to sum it up and put it together. And There's a sense of accomplishment. It's good things. And at the same time, I've really enjoyed spending our time in Matthew. And I've been talking with some of you, and I know that you've been impacted by some of these things. Some good thoughts, good questions, real good conversations have been happening through, through this time. So we're, we're sad to see the end of this, but it's good to be able to look back and see all the things that, that the Lord has taught us through, through this passage. And that's really what we're going to do this morning uh, as we go through, through some of these. Jesus' sermon, it's so rich, it's so deep, he conveys such amazing truths in a really memorable way. Uh, but he does so into a world that's full of darkness and, and evil. And when someone brings the light into a place that's dark, there are consequences. A lot of times we think of consequences as all being bad, but it's a neutral term. Some of the consequences are also good, but they're, they're hard as well, mostly for us. So Matthew chapter 7. I actually don't have any of the sermon what we're actually looking at is the ramifications, the end of the sermon that Jesus had. So look at verse 28. There's a statement here. When Jesus had finished these sayings. Now it says these sayings, it is talking about the sermon. This whole thing that we had. So think about this. We spent weeks and weeks going through these and really pouring through the different statements made and being able to really spend time through there. Think about these poor people. He's learned from Jesus. Like he turned on the fire hose of truth. And they just had to take it in. So you can imagine a lot of their, their time spent would be afterward talking with each other. Do you understand this? This is amazing. Look at these things. So for us, we got to slowly go through it. These folks heard it all in one shot. If you have an opportunity to do so, I would challenge you to do that this week. Read from the beginning all the way to the end and see how it flows see the themes, how they fit together. And since we've been going through it together, it may be a little easier to do that now. Read through it to see how impactful this message would have been. As we read through this, this short passage here, we can pick up on a couple of things. They, they said that they were, or it says that they were amazed, they were astonished. These were deep Deep truths. Let's go back real quick. We're not going to re-preach all of Matthew 5 through 7. But real quick, let's just kind of put our mind where, where they would have been. So if you're just looking down in your Bible, uh, I invite you to do so. Chapter 5, look at verse 2. Verse 2, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is where we get the Beatitudes, right? We can continue to read through this. We've already 
preached through this pretty extensively. The Beatitudes. This is an amazing introduction. This introduction takes the principles of the kingdom and shows how it really does turn everything on its head. How the world works. How the system, the systems that have been in place, how this kingdom of darkness has been established. It really does turn it all upside down. We see it is not the greedy and the powerful that should inherit the kingdom. It's the humble. It's through this original design and attention that God, he had that from the very beginning. Those who humbly walk with the Lord should be the ones who rule the earth. This is a return to that a very powerful introduction that he gives. This is how the people of God are to flourish in this way. Verses, uh, starting with chapter 5, verse 13, through the end of chapter 6, we see how they were to interact with the law and righteousness. This is a big deal. They had some very skewed ideas on how the law was really supposed to work. Jesus recalibrates that for them, helps them to understand this is actually how the law is supposed to be understood. What's so interesting is Jesus doesn't really bring up many new ideas here. This is how the law was supposed to have been understood. And in fact, the teachers of the law should have seen this. This is part of that understanding that we gain. So when, when he says they were, or when, I'm sorry, when the scripture says that they were amazed at what they heard, it's because Jesus taught them how it originally was supposed to have been understood. They're amazed at this. They had selfish and sinful leaders that had taken the principles and ideas of the law and righteousness, twisted them, and turned them to their own advantage. And so hearing Jesus' words, hearing these principles that were to be lived out, I'm sure was a breath of fresh air to actually hear the law taught how it should have been taught. Chapter 7 1 through 27, to kind of encapsulate, this is learning how to live, essentially. Some really pivotal teaching in chapter 7. Some of these teachings of Jesus, these phrases, they're understood by a lot of people to be wisdom. In fact, we use a lot of the examples that we saw through chapter 7, even today in our own culture. The golden rule is taught in this chapter. It's an encapsulation of, of God's law, of, of what he has for us to do, how we should treat each other. It's an amazing assessment on what God would call righteousness. This is how we should live. It's how we should interact with others around us. It's how we should interact with our Heavenly Father. Highlights how we should interact with other disciples highlights how we interact with pretenders those who would prey on the body shows us how to live an amazing chapter to read through I did want to highlight something go all the way back to chapter 5 if you've been following along chapter 5 verse 1 it's really interesting chapter 5 verse 1 look at this it says seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain. 
And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. This is the setup for the sermon. And as we've said quite a few times, this sermon was preached first to the disciples. This is not how do you get to heaven. This is how are disciples supposed to live as disciples. This is not a list of, here, check all of these off and they will be let into the kingdom of heaven. No, it's not that. This is how disciples are supposed to live. And so as you look at this, what we see is Jesus sees the crowds around him. Does he preach to them? No, it says he actually leaves, and it says he goes up the mountain. He sits with his disciples, with the 12, and he preaches this. This is for disciples. And it's important to see that part first. Now we get to the end of this section here in Matthew. Look at verse 28. It says, when Jesus finished these sayings, it says what? The who? Can you see it? Who's he talking to after the sermon? To the disciples? To the crowds. Where the crowds come from? You may have had some stragglers. People kind of followed him up there. But when you put this passage together with another passage, it starts to make sense. And I think this is a really important point, actually, to understand what we mean in verses 28 and 29. Look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, look at verse 17. Right before this passage, we have the introduction of the 12. It actually just lists them out. If you look right above in your Bible, you can see that. So verse 17, he says, and he came down with them. Well, you can't come down unless you've gone up. It says he came down with them and stood on a level place. And who was there? The great crowds. There they are. Here's the crowds of his disciples and a great multitude of people. So the, the disciples came with them. And the crowds were there. And it even highlights where they're from. Judea, Jerusalem, Tyre, and Sidon. This is a mixed crowd. They came there to be healed. Those who were troubled by evil spirits to be cured. So all this stuff happens. Says, then all the crowds sought to touch him. The power came out of him and healed them all. Look at verse 20. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples. This is still interesting. He's now come down. He's with the crowds. And now it says he looks at his disciples and says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom. Very important thing. You put these passages together. Jesus takes his 12 up. They hear the whole sermon. They come down. They go to, it says, on the level plain. The crowds are all there. And it says he looks at his disciples and the crowd's all here. Now, if you continue on in this passage, like we see here, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom. What does that sound like? Does that sound familiar? It's Matthew 5. So what is this? This is still for the disciples, because who does it say he directs this to? It's to the disciples, but the crowds are there. They hear This message was up on a mountain and it got brought down. Still directed to the disciples, but the crowd's now here. Why is this so important? 
This is important because what it does is it takes the message of the gospel, it takes the message of the kingdom, and takes it down from the mountain and brings it down. Everyone is able to hear. Now, did all the crowds start following Jesus after this? Spoiler alert, they don't. They don't all follow Jesus like their disciples, but here's what needs to be highlighted. This is really important to see. There is no secret knowledge. There's no secret gospel. There are mysteries. There are depths to be explored. But Jesus and his mission was to take light and bring it down into darkness. That is the important part to understand. From the very outset of this, when Jesus goes to preach, he's still preaching to the disciples, but now the crowd's here. Jesus' message is consistent. He doesn't say one thing to the disciples and turn around and say something else or say, you guys can't hear this. He actually preaches it out. He preaches the whole thing. Do the people understand? Do they get it? No. If you continue on through chapter six, through the end of the chapter, you'll see that this is not the entire message. It's good chunks of it. We get a lot of the same main points. But Jesus' message is consistent. Even if it's not as detailed as the other. And when it says in other passages, it says Jesus came and was teaching, most likely he was teaching parts of this. If not the whole sermon, chunks, important parts to highlight. And in fact, you'll hear some of those same things pop up other times where Jesus is teaching or, or speaking. But Jesus takes this message for his disciples, for the kingdom, brings it down, and the people can now hear. That message is consistent. Why is that so important? Because at this time, historically, the religions of the nations, the religions of the world, were closed off. You had to go through a priesthood. You had the secret mystery religions. You had to be initiated. There were very special things to learn what the real knowledge was. Jesus has none of that. He doesn't save it for the priests. He doesn't save it for the Pharisees. He doesn't save it for the Sadducees. He doesn't only preach it in the temple and then hope that other people might hear it some other time. No, he brings it to everyone. Everyone hears. The gospel is not a secret. Going back to the end of chapter 7. If you look at this, it says that the crowds were astonished. It also tells us why. There are two reasons why they were astonished. They were astonished because he spoke with authority. They were also astonished because he did not speak like the scribes or the practitioners of the law, as they might have been called, or the experts in the law. He didn't speak like them. It's kind of a condemning point. But they were astonished at what Jesus had said. Jesus taught with authority. Even though he had not learned under a special rabbi, he was not part of the ruling class, he was, he was a commoner. When he spoke, and when he spoke concerning the message of God, he spoke with authority. They recognized it. They heard it, and they recognized he is speaking as though he has that authority. 
What they recognize here is that Jesus in his words has authority. To understand what in the world that means, we have to see what the outcome, what's the consequence of Jesus speaking like he has authority. Chapter 8. We don't have time to go all the way through chapter 8, but there's some very specific stories that are taught in chapter 8 that I think undergird this. They are example stories. They're meant to be taken and to be understood. This is what was going on after this. So if you look in chapter 8, look down at verse 5. If you see the little heading in your Bible, most of you are going to have those. It's going to say what? Something about the centurion. Maybe the faith is the centurion or the centurion believes or something like that. We're not going to read all the way through it, but in this story, after this teaching happens, the centurion comes to him. What does he ask? What's he ask? Simple request. Not really simple, but simple for Jesus. I have, my servant is sick. My servant is dying. Save my servant. And see, Jesus had been healing in those areas, so he knows he has the power. Now, here's the thing. Centurion, not a Jew. He's a Gentile. I think you can pick up some clues here to see that this centurion was a believing centurion. This is a centurion who knew and understood Jewish thought was likely a worshiper of Yahweh because of what he says to him. He says, hey, teacher, I know that my house is not worthy for you to come into. As a Gentile, no Jew would come into his house. They would not defile themselves to go into a Gentile's house. That tells you what they think about the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. I know that you should not come into my house. I'm not worthy. My house is not worthy. But here's what I know. I know you don't have to come to my house. Why don't you just speak the word? You have authority. I'm also a man under authority. He's a centurion. He's in the army. He understands orders. He says, someone gives me orders and I perform them. I do them. I give orders out. It's performed. All you have to do is say the word And he's healed. I know it. Jesus marvels at his faith. Without even any proximity, doesn't have to touch him, right? And that's highlighted in one of the passages we looked at. They went around to try to touch him to receive power. And this centurion says, We don't even need that. You have authority. Just heal him. Jesus marvels. No. One in Israel has this kind of faith. I haven't seen it. Such faith to understand that if Jesus has authority in the words of God and can heal, he can then use that authority to heal apart from himself. The centurion was challenging Christ's power. Not in an adversarial way, but saying, I know that you can do this. And his faith is rewarded. He goes on in that passage to say that his servant was healed that very hour that took place. Authority. Next story we'll look at real quick. We're just going to walk through it. After all this happens, lots of crowds. Jesus needs time to rest. They're going to move. They're going to go somewhere else. They get in a boat. And they go away. Anytime Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples, it's going to be an exciting time. Right? What happens? They go out on the lake, and what happens? Anybody? Storm. It's always a storm, right? 
I actually do think, we don't have time to go into it, I do think that the storm may have supernatural elements to it, also natural elements to it. Storms are not uncommon in the area. But this storm to have come on so quickly and be so hard that even his disciples who were fishermen, very proficient, and being on this lake, were scared for their lives, something else may be at work there. But anyway, they're in the boat. Jesus isn't worried. He's asleep. He's tired. He's been doing a lot of preaching, doing a lot of things, a lot of healing. He's asleep. He wakes up, Jesus, we're going to die, and you don't even care. What does he say? What are his words? He says, peace, be still. Very simple. He didn't fight the storm with his words. He didn't insult the storm. Simple words, hey, peace be still. Storm settled. And it says that they marveled at his power. Who is this man? He even has power over the storm. So take a look at all these things. Jesus shown he has authority in his word. His authority over the natural. Healed a man just by his word. Calmed a storm just by his word. He has authority. And this authority seems to be expanding. Every time it's challenged. Now he actually has more authority than you think. It goes even farther. Next story, chapter 8. Shows up on the other side of the lake. And it says that they were going through a region there. Passed by a graveyard. What we would call a graveyard. It's probably a system of caves. That's how the graveyards looked at that time. These, these men, so they're uncontrollable. People just avoided that whole area because they would attack them. They were outside of their own minds. They were just naked, running around, just being incredibly hostile, attacking people. And Jesus recognized that they were tormented, possessed by evil spirits. Jesus goes over there, and it is the spirits that interact with Jesus to say, it's not time yet. What are you doing here? Don't, don't, it's not time for judgment. They knew exactly who he was. In the supernatural realm, Jesus had authority. Because what does he say? What does he do? You guys remember? Sorry? Cast them out. He says, why don't you just, uh, they say, hey, how about these pigs? He says, go into the pigs. They leave fills this herd of pigs and all the pigs just run off the edge of the cliff and kill themselves. Jesus, with a simple word, has authority over the supernatural. So look how this authority has extended. It started out with, he's a powerful preacher, but that authority actually extends out far more than, man, he's really under, he really understands these things. He really understands the word. What it is is he has power in the word because if you remember John chapter 1, he is the word. Of course he has authority. The word comes and brings light into the darkness. And the darkness does not perceive it. He has this authority. Authority in his word. Authority over the natural. Authority over the supernatural. This authority that he has continues to get challenged by others. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. 
Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21, look at verses 23. Starting at verse 23. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders came to him and he said, as he was teaching, and said, hey, erupted him. He's preaching here. He's teaching and they, they come up to him while he's teaching. It's very rude. But anyway, they challenge him. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Now, when you jump in here, it sounds like, Jesus, I'm just in here talking and somebody just comes in and challenges me. Now, this is after he came in and he cleansed the temple. Okay, so kind of a violent display. He cleanses the temple of the illegal operations that they had going on, den of thieves and whatnot. What's also interesting is Jesus cleanses where that would have taken place is the court of the Gentiles, the area that they had taken up to sell animals for sacrifice and to exchange money was where the Gentiles were supposed to be able to come and worship, which, again, shows you what they thought of the Gentiles, that they no longer have a place to worship because they're too busy defrauding worshipers. Um, So basically, he does this, teaches big display. He comes in another day, starts teaching again. They come up to him to confront. By what authority are you doing these things? Without getting to a lot of the details here, Jesus basically says to them, let me ask you a question before I answer yours. By what authority, or I'm sorry, by what um, origin was the message of John? John the baptizer. Sounds weird. Why is he bringing this up? They had already gone and seen John. They'd seen John preach. They'd heard his words. John's message was the same as Jesus' message. Let me ask you, is that from heaven? Or is that message just from man? Jesus understands. They have no authority. They start thinking politically. Well, if we say it's from heaven, then we have to acknowledge the message as being from God. Now, if we say it's from man, then all the people understood John's message and they will actually turn against us, right? So this is political answer. Say, ah, we freeze to answer. We're not going to answer you. We don't know. Don't know. Now, what that meant was they knew and understood exactly what these things were. He said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. They didn't recognize the authority the first time publicly. So what would make the difference here? But what it highlights is they speak with no authority. They didn't come to him and actually discuss the message. They didn't come with him to actually see what he had done. And the thing is, they knew that what Jesus had done in cleansing the temple was correct which is why they didn't challenge it. They didn't have him arrested. They knew they were in the wrong. The battle of authorities, they had to bow. Even politically, Jesus has authority. Challenges the authority of the Pharisees and of the religious leaders. So this continues, and and obviously we're skipping a large part of the gospel. We're going to skip the crucifixion, skip the resurrection. We'll get back to it, though. Turn to chapter 28. 
So we have all these recognized areas of authority that Jesus has shown, he's displayed, right? But still as a man. Matthew chapter 28. Look at verse 18. Very familiar passage if you've been in the church for any length of time. This is the ascension. This is normally what's called the the place where the great commission is conveyed. Verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. A lot of times we hurry through this passage to get to the next one because the next verse is what tells us what we're supposed to do in light of that. But I ask you, how are you supposed to know what you're supposed to do in light of his authority when you don't stop and recognize the extent of his authority? Because it says, therefore, assuming they understand the extent of his authority. In light of his authority and all authority being given to him, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. This is an extension of authority. Jesus has all authority. When you go back to the examples that we saw in Matthew, authority over the word, or authority that comes from the word is probably a better way to, ex- to extend that, but he is the word. Authority from the word of God. Authority over the natural. Authority over the supernatural. And if challenged by leadership, we didn't even go into his interaction with Pontius Pilate, where he also bows to his authority. Doesn't challenge why he's there. He listens to Jesus discuss truth and comes out and says, I see no fault in this man. No authority challenged from Pontius Pilate. In all realms, Jesus has authority. What this should also extend back to is the crucifixion. They attempted to take his authority. You realize this, this whole drama that takes place during the Gospels, the enemy is continuing to push and to push, and Jesus is showing that he has these levels of authority. And the straw that breaks the camel's back is the raising of Lazarus because they all get scared he, he brought a man back from the dead. So instead of recognizing his authority, what did the leadership do? We have no choice. We have to kill him. That is their logical conclusion. We must kill him and kill Lazarus too, so there's nothing left of that example of authority. Because what did Jesus show? He had authority over life and death which for humanity is the scariest power that we understand. We spend our entire lives finding ways to run from death, just as natural human beings. We do. Everyone does. Jesus had power over it, and that scared the leadership. So what does Jesus do? Willingly allows himself to be taken in, goes to a kangaroo court, false uh, accusations thrown at him, false testimony, 
is flogged and then crucified, which is also illegal according to Roman law, taken up to Calvary willingly. Willingly goes onto the altar, the altar in the shape of a cross, and he dies, taking on the shame, taking on sin. But did he stay dead? Absolutely not. Three days later, he rises from the dead. Not after, and we don't have time to go into this, not after just a death. But it says that he also went, and he went to the, the spirits that are in prison, and he declared that he had won. Even in the places under the earth, he shows that he has authority. And that's important for this next point. But then he rises from the dead, showing that he has authority over all things, which is why he can state here in Matthew 28, all authority has been given. But where does that extend to? So we don't even have a full picture of that until we get to Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter 5. I really don't think you can understand the full context of Christology, the understanding of Christ, unless you also take into view pivotal parts of Revelation. And I think the first five chapters show this. Give you a little background. This is John, one of the apostles, receiving a vision. But it's a vision vivid enough for him to be there and physically to experience these things. So it says, then I saw, that's John, John says, I saw at the, in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. Who's on the throne? Sorry? Not yet. This is the father. This is the ancient of days. This is who Daniel would have seen on the throne. This is who Isaiah would have seen on the throne. This is the father. It says that he saw a strong angel there. He sees it. Man, how insane would this vision be? He sees this and it says, a mighty angel proclaimed with authority. Who is worthy to open the scrolls and to break its seals? If we looked at chapter 4, we'd see everyone who's present. You have the elders, you have thousands and myriads of thousands of angels. You have God the Father sitting on the throne, the Ancient of Days, and you also have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there. So he says, who is worthy to open this scroll? What's stated? Verse 3. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. John says he began to weep loudly because no one is found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. Realize what we're saying. The Father on his throne, the Spirit present, all the angels, all the elders there, no one is worthy. Who's missing? Verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. What does it say? He has conquered. He's conquered. So that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. It says, Between the throne and the four living creatures, among them I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Seven horns, seven eyes. Seven spirits of God went out to all the earth. 
And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowl of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. And they sang a song. And what does it say in the first line of this song? Worthy. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for, why? Why is he worthy? Because he was slain. It says, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, every people, from every nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. All authority. Here's the amazing part of this. Why is Jesus worthy to open that? Do you know who was supposed to have been able to open that? Adam. Because what is that scroll? Contained in that scroll is what, all of you who have studied through Revelation? You break the seals and what's in there? Judgment. Judgment upon the earth. Guess what? Adam in no way was worthy to do that. What this is, this is the breaking of, of these seals. Jesus shows that he actually fulfilled what man could never do. If you go back to Genesis 1, man was given dominion over the earth. This was the rightful place for man to have dominion. Humankind was supposed to rule over the earth. That's why he was made in God's image. Man and woman procreate to create a race that would rule and have dominion properly. Did they do that? No way. You have the fall. They gave that up and there was a promise made that a man would be born who would. It wasn't Cain. We know that. It wasn't Abel. Who was it? You have to wait a few thousand years to find out, but it was Jesus. Jesus as a man lived the life we could never live, that Adam could never live. You go to 1 Corinthians 15. It says the first Adam failed. That's why we look to the last Adam, who is Jesus. Jesus fulfills all of those promises. Jesus is the one who is worthy. He carries all authority. Verse 45, 1 Corinthians 15. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. It is not the spiritual that is the first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was formed from the earth, man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so those who are dust. As from the man of heaven, so are those from heaven. Just as we've been born in the image of the man of dust, this is so amazing, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Through the resurrection of Jesus, he then allows us to be a part of of his kingdom to reign with him. We become representatives of his authority, which is why the church is sent out to live out the gospel, to show who Jesus is through who we are. Through our redemption, we can show others what the grace of God is. We can, with confidence, share the truths of the scripture because the Holy Spirit enlightens us to them. 
we can actually speak authoritatively because we would, excuse me, we will be the ones who rule with Christ. This is what's meant. We live out on this earth the authority of Jesus. We can point people to life, point people to the resurrection. It's an amazing, amazing thing that God has allowed us to be a part of. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus is worthy because he has redeemed. Because he was and is and is to come. And we're called to live in that authority. Heavenly Father, God, our Lord, God, it is an amazing thing. We are astonished to understand the extent of your plan, to understand your words, Lord, to live in light of the coming kingdom. God, we, Lord, we would have loved to have heard your son speak, to be there on the mountain, to be there on the plain, to hear his words spoken, Lord. But thank you for preserving them for us. Thank you for this sermon that teaches us, Lord the way to live as a disciple. Thank you for your words that allow us to know and to understand the extent of the plan that you have for us. Lord, to exercise this authority not out of pride, to exercise this authority not out of any kind of haughtiness or even out of our own power, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we follow after your son, as we live our lives, that we would live lives worthy of the gospel, that we would speak your words, God, that we would show that you have authority over the natural and the supernatural, God, that we would share the difficulties that we have with those around us, God, that your grace may be made much of. Lord, I pray that we would be disciples, disciples of the living God and the coming King. Lord Jesus, I pray that our lives would lift up your name in holy worship. Lord, that we would be recognized as those who have been with Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.